Chapters 23 and 24 of The Life and Doctrine of St. Catherine of Genoa. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anne Boulay. The Life and Doctrine of St. Catherine of Genoa. Chapters 23 and 24. Chapter 23. This illuminated soul said that she saw a vision of self-love, and beheld that its master and lord was the demon, and she said that self-hate would be a better name for it, because it makes man do all the evil that it wills, and in the end precipitates him into hell. She beheld it in man, as it were, by essence, both spiritually and corporally, and in all of these ways it seemed so entirely incorporated with him that it appeared to her almost impossible that he should be purified in this life. She also said, The true self-love has these properties. First, it cares not whether it injures either its own soul or body or those of its neighbor, nor does it value the goods and reputation of either itself or others. For the sake of accomplishing its ends, it is as rigorous with itself as with others, and will submit to no possible contradiction. When it has resolved upon any action, it remains unmoved by either promises or threats, how great soever they may be, but perseveres in its course, caring neither for slavery nor poverty, for infamy nor weakness, for purgatory, death, nor hell, for it is so blind that it cannot see these things, or recognize their importance. If one should say to man that if he would abandon his self-love, he would acquire riches, gain health, possess in this world all that heart could desire, and be certain of heaven hereafter, he would yet repeal them all, because his heart is unable to value any good, either temporal or eternal, which does not bear the impress of self-love. Everything else he despises and counts for nothing, while to this he becomes a slave, going wherever it wills, and so submissive that he has no other choice. He neither speaks, thinks, nor understands aught else. If he is called mad and foolish, he cares nothing for it, nor is he offended by the derision or others. He has shut his eyes and closed his ears to all else, and beholds them as if they were not. She said, moreover, Self-love is so subtle a robber that it commits its thefts, even upon God himself, without fear or shame, employing his goods as if they were its own, and assigning as a reason that it cannot live without them. And this robbery is hidden under so many veils of apparent good, that it can hardly be detected except by the penetrating light of true love, which always desires to remain uncovered and bare, both in heaven and earth, because it has nothing shameful to conceal. And therefore, self-love never understands the nature of pure love. For pure love sees not how the things which it knows as they are in truth could possibly be possessed or appropriated. Nothing would displease it so much as to find anything which it could call its own. The reason of this is that pure love sees not, nor can it ever see, anything but truth itself which, being by its nature communicable to all, can never be monopolized by any. Self-love, on the other hand, is in itself an obstacle to truth, and neither believes it nor beholds it, but rather, confiding in itself, 
holds truth as an enemy and an alien. But the spiritual self-love is much more perilous than the corporal, for it is bitter poison whose anecdote is hard to find. It is yet more artfully veiled, and passes sometimes as sanctity or necessity, or again as charity or pity, hiding itself behind almost infinite disguises, the sight of which causes my heart almost to faint within me. Behold also what blindness self-love occasions between God and man, and know that no evil can be so great as this. Yet man does not perceive it, but seems to hold it as salutary, and to rejoice over what ought rather to make him weep. There is no doubt that, if man could perceive the many difficulties thrown by self-love in the way of his own good, he would no longer allow himself to be deceived by it, and its malignity is the more to be dreaded, because it is so powerful, that were but one grain of it in the world, would be sufficient to corrupt all mankind. Wherefore I conclude that self-love is the root of all evils, which exist in the world and in the other. Behold Lucifer, whose present state is the result of following the suggestions of his self-love, and in ourselves it seems to me even worse. Our father Adam has so contaminated us, that to my eyes, the evil appears almost incurable, for it so penetrates our veins, our nerves, our bones, that we can neither say nor think, nor do anything which is not full of the poison of this love, not even those thoughts and deeds which are directed toward the purification of the spirit. For so great and hopeless an infirmity, no remedy can be found but God, and if he does not heal us in this world by his grace, our defects must needs be cleansed hereafter by the fire of purgatory. It being necessary, before it is possible for us to behold the pure face of God, that we should be freed from all our stains. And therefore, when I see how rigorous and severe is this purgation, and that it is not in man's power to escape from self-love, or to see and understand the dangers of its hidden venom, as it is necessary that he should, I long to cry out in a voice that should even pierce the heavens. God help me, God help me, and continue this cry so long as life remains to me. Consider, then, that if this love is of such force, that it makes man regardless of life or death, heaven or hell, how incomparably greater must that divine love be, which God himself infuses by his great goodness into our hearts. This love, unlike the other, has an eye not only to the welfare of our souls and bodies, but to those of our neighbor, and is careful to preserve his honor and his goods. It is benignant and gentle in all things and to all men. It renounces its self-will, and accepts instead the will of God, to whom it always submits. God, moreover, by his incomparable love, so inflames, purifies, illuminates, and fortifies its will, that it no longer fears anything but sin, because that alone displeases God, and therefore, rather than commit the least sin, it would choose to undergo the most atrocious torments that can be imagined. This is one of the effects of the divine love, which gives man such liberty, peace, and contentment, that he seems almost to enjoy heaven while yet in this life, and is so absorbed that he can neither speak, nor think, nor desire aught beside. This divine love, which thus separates us from the world and from ourselves, in order to unite us to God, is our only true and proper love. 
when therefore it has been thus infused into our hearts what more can we desire in this world or in the other death becomes a thing longed after and hell loses its terrors for the soul which loves for it dreads nothing but sin which alone can separate it from its beloved oh if men and especially those who love could only know how great and heavy a thing it is to offend god they would know it to be the greatest hell that could be suffered he who has once enjoyed this sweet and gentle love and lost it through any fault of his would suffer agonies like those of the condemned souls and esteem no toils too great by which he might once again regain it long experience has taught me that the love of god is our life our bliss and our repose and that self-love is continual weariness misery and death both in this world and in the other chapter twenty four this holy soul said i see three ways which god takes when he wishes to purify the creature the first is when he gives it a love so stripped of all things that even if it desired it could neither see nor wish for anything but this love which by reason of its poverty and simplicity is able to detect every vestige of self-love and seeing the truth it can never be self-deceived but is reduced to such despair of itself that it is unable to say or do anything which could afford it either corporal or spiritual consolation and thus by degrees its self-love is destroyed since it is certain that he who eats not dies notwithstanding this however so great is the evil of self-love that it clings to man almost to the end of his life i have seen this in myself for from time to time i have found many natural desires destroyed within me which had previously seemed to me very good and perfect but when they were thus removed i saw that they had been depraved and faulty and in accordance with those spiritual and bodily infirmities which being hidden from me i had not supposed myself to possess and this is why it is necessary to attain such a subtlety of spiritual vision in order that all which at first appears to us perfection may in the end be known as imperfections robberies and woes all this is clearly revealed in that mirror of truth pure love in which all things appear distorted which to us had seemed upright the second mode which i beheld and which pleased me more than the first is that in which god gives man a mind occupied with great suffering for that makes him know himself and how abject and vile he is this vision of his own misery keeps him in great poverty and deprives him of all things which could afford him any savor of good thus his self-love is not able to nourish itself and from lack of nourishment it wastes away until at last man understands that if god did not hold his hand giving him his being and remove from him this hateful vision he could never issue from this hell and when god is pleased to take away this vision of his utter hopelessness in himself afterwards he remains in great peace and consolation the third mode which is still more excellent than either of these is when god gives his creature a mind so occupied in him that neither interiorly nor exteriorly is it able to think of anything but god and those things which are his even the works which it performs it does not think of or hold in any esteem except in so far as they are necessary to the love of god and hence it seems like one dead to the world 
for it is unable to delight itself in anything, or to understand anything, even if it wished to do so, either in heaven or on earth. There is given to it also such a poverty of spirit, that it knows neither what it has, nor what it does, nor does it make any provision for what it should do, either with regard to God or to the world, for itself or for its neighbor, because it is not shown how it may do so, but is always held by God, in union with him, and in sweet confusion. In this way the soul remains rich, yet poor, unable to appropriate anything, or to nourish itself, because it is necessary that it should be lost and annihilated in itself, and thus find itself in God, in whom, in truth, it was from the beginning, although it knew not how it was so. There is also the religious life, of which I will say nothing further, because all must pass through one of these three ways of which I have been speaking, and also because it has been sufficiently treated by others. End of chapters 23 and 24